This is the How The Fuck podcast. Each week, we interview creative leaders and marketing professionals from around the world. From those interviews, we bring you unique advice that's based only in real practical experience that will help you to grow your business, get ahead in your professional life, and satisfy your hunger to learn new ideas. This week's interview is with Gareth Morgan, CEO and co-founder of Liberty Marketing, a full-service digital marketing agency which is currently the largest in Wales. Gareth founded Liberty 12 years ago after working as a marketer in-house and has grown the agency to more than 40 employees while working with huge brands worldwide like Admiral, Pizza Express and Penguin, for whom they do SEO, PPC, content management and social media services. After chatting about Gareth's journey growing Liberty, and tips for those wanting to start up their own agency, we focused on search engine optimization, from the very basics of what it is through to actionable tips you can use to improve your website ranking in Google. We also covered how to optimize your content, how to do keyword research, and tips about the future of the SEO industry. Garrett's been in this industry for a long time, and I learned a lot from this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Hey Gareth, great to have you on the How The Fuck podcast. Let's start with how we normally start with everybody, your one-minute pitch or... Uh, an explanation of Liberty Marketing, what you do. We're basically a digital marketing agency. We provide things like search engine marketing, digital advertising, content marketing services for companies big and small, ranging from B2B brands you've never heard of through to high street names and you know huge power brands, all the way through to quirky little startups. Uh, there's a team of 40 of us and based in Cardiff, but most of our clients are not in South Wales. And what I've been trying to do over the last year to make a stand out is really focus on recruiting talent. So I've, I've been able to pull in quite a few heavy hitters, some people with a lot of experience working with some really big brands, with some really big budgets and getting results and gathering them all in one place and then offering their talent and their expertise out to, out to businesses. Thanks, Gareth. That's really great. So you said you work with all types of brands. What kind of location is that? Is it only is it UK? Is it UK only? We were, but it's gone a bit weird in the last couple of years. Because like we were looking the other day, and of our top five clients, one of them's based in Paris, one of them's based in Boston, US. I mean, one of them's up North England, one of them's in Bristol. So when it comes to what we do, we're the biggest in Wales. But the problem with Wales as well is there weren't until recently that many digital marketers with proper budgets and digital briefs. So it meant that whilst it was easy to work for me, very few of our clients were on our doorstep. Yeah, right. That's crazy. And I suppose you don't need to be in the location to do the kind of work that a digital marketing agency does. If I can get you to like think back right to the beginning of your journey at Liberty Marketing 12 years ago, why was it that you got started? Basically, I, so I was a digital marketer. So I mean, go back before then, nearly 20 years ago, I got my first job. I, I did a marketing degree. My first job in a software company as the marketing manager. And the timing was impeccable because the week I started was pretty much the same week that Google started uh, PPC, Google Ads. And so, you know, very much from the start, I was a self-taught digital marketer. So self-taught in SEO, self-taught in PPC, uh, learning analytics from, from when it very first launched. Uh, social media, we're talking years before things like Facebook and Twitter exist. So I, I worked there for, for a few years, worked in a finance company for a few years. But the problem I had in the finance company is, I say the problem I had, was I basically had uh, never-ending unlimited budgets, 
which was great fun for me. I was like a kid in a sweet shop because we were property finance during the property boom. So I was able to just play around with everything. But I was also, there was so much work to do. I started pulling in agencies to help me. So whereas in the software company, I basically did everything myself. In this organization, I had to rely on others. And then time after time, I got screwed over by agencies. So, I mean, that we're talking now like 2006, 2007 when it still was full of dodgy stuff. So there was still lots of black hat SEO. There was agencies sort of stealing content of rivals and then sticking it on your website. And just basically, yeah, just had, had, just had a terrible experience. And I couldn't believe it. It's like, you know, I'm pulling in these people, giving them good money. We're talking thousands and thousands of pounds a month in retainers. And their one agency just didn't turn up to meetings, didn't answer phone calls, didn't answer emails. To sack them off, another agency was taking my content ideas, writing the content for my blog, but then basically selling those exact same ideas to my direct rivals. Really? So basically, you know, me paying to have my own Google duplicate content penalty. <laughs> and then another agency that was just doing dodgy links and then claiming that they weren't, even though obviously I knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So it was basically just a terrible, terrible experience after terrible experience. And then what happened was the recession hit. And me and pretty much half the other marketers in the UK found themselves with no jobs. And I decided to do what I always wanted to do, set up an agency. And even though I had no idea how to do it, I had a number of clear examples of how you don't do it because of all the muppets I'd worked with. Mm-hmm. And um, so I thought, you know, I'll give it a go. And because my background was SEO and PPC, that's basically the agency that I launched 12 years later now. And the core um, uh, values of this business haven't changed a bit. So it's all about, you know, treat the client like a partner, you know, focus on results, but at the same time, you know, don't forget that, you know, you've got to be creative and you've got to be innovative. Um, Always be transparent, always act as if the client's money is your money. I mean, that's definitely values of a company I'd want to work with. It's definitely quite a big step, isn't it, to go from marketer to starting an agency. Would you have any tips for people who are maybe considering going freelance themselves or even starting their own agency? Yeah, I suppose the first one, but this is for anyone starting any business, is differentiate. So like I mentioned earlier, like all of us agencies are kind of looking a bit too similar for comfort these days. Is If I was to start up an agency again, I would do something like, you know, so my background was in the finance industry. So I would say, okay, I'm going to set up a search agency that only deals with finance. So I either pick a service or pick a sector or do the two if you really want to go niche and just offer that. Because what we're seeing at the moment is the agencies that do that are cleaning up and all of the ones that are a bit more generalist are all struggling. So this is actually how Liberty started. Whereas now we're not as niche as I'd like to be because we offer SEO and PPC and social and content and data services. It would be a lot easier if we just had one or two of those. 12 years ago, by us doing digital, and we were going up against loads of agencies that were sort of more traditional. So agencies that were doing branding and PR and events and this, that and the other offline advertising we were the ones that sort of stood out and that's how we grew i think that's really good advice for anyone starting a business starting small and focusing on your niche uh, and becoming specialist in that before growing and expanding Um, yeah and and uh you know and it goes back to i mean you know there's so many different ways of saying this and one of the famous ways is you know simon sinek with his why thing i'm sure i'm sure you've seen his ted talk about you know people people don't buy what you do they buy why you do it Mm. having a decent narrow along those lines so i mean you know it's, it's worked wonders for me with liberty saying well i set i set up liberty 
a marketing agency because I hated marketing agencies. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. having something like that, that's a decent story and also, you know, keeps you within a niche. I mean, you, you're going to do okay. You're going to stand out. You're going to attract people. You're going to attract clients and then they're more likely to, to go ahead with you because they believe in what you're doing and they know you, you understand them. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's something I've heard time and time again from marketers that I've been interviewing. It's like staying in your niche, keeping specialized, but also creating a really strong story and narrative around the work you're doing. Um, it can be so powerful. I think it goes back to the multiple interviews I've done with branding experts about building your brand. It's about having a story, understanding the DNA of the company uh, and why you know it really was started. Out of interest, did you have clients before you started out or did you just take that leap on your own? Where I was lucky is my two previous employers both came on board as clients from day one. Mm. So, uh, and I, part of me wishes that didn't happen because yeah. there, was, there was kind of, there was never a wolf at the door. So, you know, I never had to worry about making ends meet because from day one, I mean, basically when I set it up, I was, you know, for the first six months, I was a freelancer and I had enough coming in to cover bills and I was probably a little too comfortable. Yeah. It probably would have been a bit better if, if I had none of that and I really had to fight back at the start. I think I would actually love to know a bit more about that beginning of the company because um, now you have 40 people and, and quite a few freelancers and some really big companies the Pizza Express, one of the biggest pizza chain companies in, in the UK. What was your growth journey from being that freelancer all the way through to being the company you are today and what were your highlights along the way? Okay, hi- highlights along the way. I, and I tell you something that that is also probably good advice for anyone who's looking to start up an agency is find yourself one or two brands you can hang your hat on. So, because I mean, there's a reason why those brands are, are slap bang on the front of our website. Yeah, actually, none of those are anywhere near our biggest clients. Like, yeah. if if I gave you a list of like my top five biggest clients, you've never heard of four of them. <laughs> Yet, some of them are, they're paying us you know ten times as much as some of the big names. Yeah. Um, now, because I set the business up in South Wales rather than in London, there was a real, you know, 12 years ago, I think I was pretty much the only person in Wales going around talking about SEO and PPC. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was ludicrous. I'd, I'd turn up to business networking events, talk to the room about PPC, you know, me going on about this stuff that I absolutely love and I've been doing for like six years as a full-time job. And, and I remember one person going, oh, well, can I do this? Because I don't sell paper clips. You know, I was just like, Gee, you know, and it was like that. It was like, it was like faulty towers, you know, the office, deleted scenes was, was my experience. So I ended up signing up a lot of small businesses that probably, I mean, another bit of advice for someone setting up a, an agency is don't do what everyone else does. Don't sell yourself too cheap to the wrong people, which is advice I got at the start and I didn't pay attention. And it's advice I've given to people and they didn't really take it on board. And all of us admit we should have done. So we took on lots of small businesses, you know, just to start, you know, pay the bills and start taking on staff and grow. But the the sort of the goal was always, you know, let's go and find proper brands that want to do this seriously, and you know, let's help them out and let's build up a bit of a reputation doing that. And it took years to get the first one. The first one was Benefit Cosmetics, so a huge beauty brand. I think at the time they were like the number one selling product in the UK. And uh, yeah, met them at an event in London. I, I was speaking on stage. They, they liked what I had to say. They, they asked us to review their, their Google Ads account. Turns out it was a load of shit. 
and asked us to, to quote on taking it over and improving it. Within like a week, they were on board as a client. And the difference that makes is incredible because you can then answer one of the questions you get in agency world is the first thing people say is who do you work with? And all they want to know is, are there other credible brands that have given you the go ahead that trust you enough that maybe I should trust you? And we never had a decent name or two. But as soon as we were able to mention benefit, more would start falling in. And there's been other ones along the way where it's actually become a strategic part of the business. So sometimes we'll have really decent, really cool projects come in and there's no money in them whatsoever, but it doesn't really matter because they're the ones that can make you famous. I remember one of these was actually, we've Universal Music Group. We've done sort of ad hoc work with those guys for years. But at one time they had um, the, the, it was a tiny bit of budget. We're talking hundreds of pounds, not thousands to promote the Rolling Stones. They were just like, we want to try this kind of advertising. We want to chuck this money in and see what happens. Do you want the work? And of course we wanted the work. I remember I spent more money on train tickets going back and forth and meeting than we actually made off the job. Really? But it doesn't matter because we, we got to promote the Rolling Stones. You know, how many people can say that? There was one person in Universal a few years ago who's moved on now, and he just loved tinkering. He just loved experimenting with different kind of ads. And I think sort of by nature of my background is that anytime there's a new feature within like Google ads or anytime there's a new PPC platform. So I remember this, this was back when the native stuff started. I would always just tinker around with this stuff. And so then when I'm speaking at an event about PPC, I'm always talking about the latest things that no one's ever heard of. So that's how I'd naturally, you know, people would come up at the end and they, they, they'd want my details and that's how we'd win some clients. And, um, and that, guy, that guy's job was basically just play around with stuff and see what works and then roll out across the group. Yeah. And so I remember we did, you know, one time we did some Taboola native advertising with them. Another time we set up some remarketing via Google for them. Another time we were doing some Facebook ads. Can't remember which ones exactly, but it was when you know, there was like some brand new feature and you just call us up and go, do you want to play around with this for me? Mm. So it was um, quite a fun project. Yeah, it sounds fun. I'm working with the Rolling Stones. Why not? This guy actually sounds like he has the best job ever, just tinkering around with adverts with unlimited budget. Sounds quite fun. I'd love to go a bit more into SEO, which I know is one of your specialities and your tips for that. Most people are listening are marketers and entrepreneurs, and they have you know at least a, the basic understanding of SEO. But for those who are listening who are not from the marketing world, who are at the beginning of their marketing journey, could we go right to the basics? What is SEO? So search engine optimization is basically the process of trying to get a web page to appear higher in the search results um, so that when people are going into search engines and they're searching for stuff, that web page ranks above rivals. Are you still seeing this from clients as being very core to their marketing efforts? It depends on the client. So we've got, we've got some clients where basically SEO is where they spend all of their marketing budget, you know, bit by bit, they've taken it from all other uh, channels and put it into SEO. Uh, we've got other clients where it's kind of an add on. And to be honest, they don't really care about it. Sometimes it's because I don't think they really get it. So a few of those are the physical retailers. So you know, when it comes to footfall in store, they absolutely love it and they measure it um, religiously in-house when it comes to um, visitors to a website. It's kind of secondary to them. You can see that, but everyone with a website basically has to not ignore SEO. What would you say are the core influences of SEO, the core things that people can do to improve their search engine ranking? Oh, you've basically got on-site SEO and off-site SEO. So on-site SEO is stuff that happens on your website. 
And off-site SEO is stuff that happens on other people's websites. And basically, you need to make sure that your on-site SEO is sorted, mainly from the point of view of keywords. So you need to be picking uh, keywords, um, otherwise known as search terms, for every single page on your website. You need to make sure they differ across pages. And you need to just make sure that your content's optimized for everything. What you then also need to do is create lots of really good content. So the kind of thing that's going to please users and get them coming back for more. And then when it comes to off-site SEO, that's basically about getting other websites to link through to yours. And the name of the game is all about relevance and authority. So you want the most relevant websites in your marketplace linking to you. And you also want the most authoritative ones. And if you combine all of that, then basically you go to the top of Google. That's really interesting. Regarding... Uh, off-site SEO, would you say it's really good to have a organization as authoritative as, say, the BBC linking to you, or is it better to have someone who is really in your industry and in your niche? I mean, if you can get a BBC link, you definitely want it because they're, they're a huge authority. However, they're not really an authority in marketing. So for my website, you'd want places like e-consultancy and Marketing Week linking through to you, but a BBC link certainly wouldn't hurt. Basically, Google's a popularity contest. Mm -hmm. So the more sites that are credible that link through to you, the better. And the reason why Google, the BBC ticks a lot of these boxes is they don't often link out. So when Google sees BBC linking to someone, not only is it coming from a hugely credible website, but also because the links are few and far between, it means a lot more. BBC is kind of like the holy grail. In my own SEO experience, a lot of it comes from being really good at PR being able to get yourself into the right types of newspapers or onto the right types of websites. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, totally. And this is where it's interesting right now is because we, without, we, so people don't come to Liberty for PR. And if there's an RFP out there for PR, we don't go for it. However, we do the PR of half of our clients or if they've got PR agencies or internal PR teams, we're dictating a lot of the work they're doing. Because we're going to do it based on um, a blogger outreach strategy, which basically means my team will figure out which bloggers in the marketplace are the best links and which ones link in the right way. And therefore, we'd work with the PR team to make sure those links happen. And a lot of the, like my content team, uh, I mean, that's the work we've done for Admiral before. It's basically, let's come up with a really juicy bit of content that's going to convince journalists and bloggers and social influencers to link through to it. So it gives them a boost in the search rankings. So it's yeah. it's interesting because we're sort of like one side of the PR world and then P, traditional PR agencies are the other. And the reality is a lot of businesses need both of us. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's like all we care about is getting that content out there and getting you some referral traffic and boosting your, your Google rankings. Whereas traditional PR agencies don't even know what half of that means, yet they might get you on the six o'clock news, which we don't do. Yes, yeah, so they're doing it for maybe publicity and branding, but you might be doing it for... I'm doing best. it to get you to the top of Google for those juicy keywords. So I hear a lot of people suggesting do your keyword research, you know, work out what it is that you need to rank for that's relevant to your business and that your clients are searching for. But very few people actually explain how to do proper keyword research. Um, can you give us some insight into that? If it's an, let's assume it's an existing website. First thing you do is figure out what's the lay of the land currently. So, of all, so there's things like the Google Keyword Tool, which will basically, and then there's a load of other tools. A common one is called SEMrush that we use, mm-hmm. where basically you can figure out what are all of the keywords that people are putting into Google. What's the average monthly search volume for each one, 
and where does this current uh, this client currently rank? Where does this website currently show? And then off the back of that, you'd be able to find some quick wins. So quite often with our clients, stage one in an SEO project would be, well, do you know what? You're on bottom of page one for this really good keyword and you're top of page two for this decent keyword. So let's focus on pushing those up to the top of page one and then let's worry about brand new ones. So you always have some quick wins. Uh, a very important thing with keyword research is to identify cannibalization, which is something that is hugely problematic is very common and it's very rarely talked about. And what, what that basically is, is if you've got two pages that are kind of ranking for the same keyword, Google pulls them both down. So part of our job is to figure out which one do you want ranking, which one do you either then want to sort of hide away or optimize for a different keyword. And by doing so, they split apart and they both jump a lot higher. So why, why is it that they do that? I think it's uh, I think it's partly because you've got two you've got two results that are similar for the same keyword versus rivals who've got one page that's for that keyword so the one page is seen as more relevant than your two mm. so you're kind of like splitting it across so what were you typically finding keyword research is we'd be looking at all the keywords in the marketplace and there'll be for one keyword a website will show in position 14 and 15 so it'll be two of your pages both showing up you know right next to each other in, in the results and so by re-optimizing one of those, Google will then see one of them as, okay, this is actually relevant for that keyword. I'll chuck that higher. And then you do you figure out what to do with the other one. So is that part of Google trying to make streamlined content? You know, not multiple articles talking about the same thing, but just one kind of authoritative, large piece of content? Yes and no, because one of the things we see a lot of success with clients is having a hub. So it'll be, you know, for a topic, creating a load of articles that address sort of all of the long tail keywords so all of the all of the problems that people are searching for associated with that topic and having it all in one place versus one huge content bit of content. With everything in my world, there's pros and cons. So the pro of having one great big bit of content is every time anyone links through to it, it's going to be going to that one URL and making it way more powerful. Whereas if you've got 20 bits of content that are closely related then those links get spread across all 20. However, 20 pages all optimized for 20 keywords will probably rank more than one page optimized for 20 keywords because one page can't be relevant for 20 different things. So this is why keyword research is important because then one of my guys has to figure out which route do you take. So when you are looking for keywords and you come across hundreds of variations of long tail keywords, how do you choose which ones to go for? How do you choose which ones to put in the main article versus a dedicated article? Well, a mixture of what are they already showing up for? And so should you re-optimize that for different ones or should you optimize it better for those existing ones? Uh, a mixture of which ones are right for the brand and for you know what they're, what they're looking to achieve and how they want to be known in their marketplace. And then it's kind of, I mean, for a lot of it, it's a never-ending piece of work. It's basically, this is this is your blog strategy and the advice articles and blog pieces you write for the next year are going to address these 50 uh, long tail keywords. When you are looking to re-optimize or optimize a piece of content for SEO, what should we look out for? How can we achieve an optimized piece of content? Throughout, I mean, is it, is it, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll leave it at that because I wonder if Google actually will look at things like how long people spend on a page or uh, bounce rate, that kind of thing. Are those things well, or? Yeah, yeah, they are. How important? No one really knows. Uh, I mean, G Google say there's a couple of hundred ranking factors that they're taking into consideration. 
So things like bounce rate will be one of them. Something that a lot of people kind of overlook, but I think is hugely important, is making sure that your page title and your meta description are optimized well. Because when you go into Google and you do a search for something, what Google displays from your website, the blue clickable link is your page title. The two lines of black text is your meta description. And there's obviously the uh, URL shown as well. So not only do you have to optimize these for keywords so that Google sees them as relevant, but also you need to get your USPs in there so that when you do show up on Google, people actually click through because the, the amount of clients we've taken on board and one of the first things we've done is actually just get someone to write some sales copy and just insert it in these places. And without even changing rankings, they're getting twice as many visitors. But because click-through rate is a ranking factor, this then like all of these things all were just you know, they all hold hands this great big venn diagram of seo where the middle section is huge they all interlink i'd say those are very important what do you think is the long-term view of this industry and how important will bing or other browser search engines like ecosia be in the future and what do you think about say social media becoming even more important for driving traffic will people continue in the future to focus on seo i mean people have been like, like a term that i've heard every year now for 15 years is seo is dead and in reality more businesses are spending more money on this as the days tick by because this is where you get the motivated buyers the thing that google will always have that social media doesn't have is intent and this is why so many people put their money into things like Google ads for pay-per-click and why people invest in SEO and SEO agencies is because when someone's going onto Google looking for something, they need to find an answer to that problem. They need to find a supplier to fix whatever issue they've got. They need to find somewhere to spend that money. Whereas when you're on social and also the same as when you're, you know, when you're wandering around the web and reading blogs and news articles is you're not seeking out a solution. You're not seeking out uh, a commercial entity to you know, help you spend that money so that's why you'll always get a better a better conversion rate from this stuff but then at the same time that's why google ads traffic is so much more expensive than the likes of facebook traffic in terms of the search engines we optimize for search like i talk about google all day because it's like you know nine at, or more than nine out of ten searches in the uk are done on google but we're optimizing for bing and pretty much any search engine at the same time so the best practice standards cross them all. Um, I mean, it'd be nice if, if, if Bing had a, a bit more of a foothold in the UK, so Google had a bit more competition, but they've never made it stick. Are they bigger in the US? You know? Yeah, and it's weird because it's like I've, I've, I've tried to find out the answer to this question loads of times, and when you actually start digging around, every resource gives you different figures. But when I checked about a year ago, it was something like they had 30% of the market in the US, whereas in the UK, I think they were at like 8%. Because what one of the interesting things is, and this has been true now for probably 15 years, is that Bing traffic largely is better quality for your website. So obviously this is different for every keyword, for every website, for every market. But more often than not, the traffic you get from Bing will convert at a higher rate than on Google. And because if you're doing PTC, if you're doing Bing ads, because the traffic's so much cheaper, your conversion costs are tiny compared to Google. But the downside is they're few and far between because there's just not the volume there. And what I've put that down to is if you think, like a typical person who's using Bing is someone who's maybe gone to PC World, bought uh, a Windows PC, it comes default with all the Microsoft um, kit on it, 
de- you know, default with the Windows Explorer, and then it's got Bing as the default search engine. So it's someone who's not really mess, you know, going to mess around with stuff and really try and be choosy. Whereas if you think, you know, people on Google are more likely to have chosen to download Chrome, more likely to be using that search engine. So are they people that are a bit more, you know, okay with shopping around? Mm. They're more technically savvy, but also they, you know, they've made kind of tells you that the people using Bing haven't gone out of their way to make those decisions. It's quite nuanced sometimes, but, you know, if you're dealing in a, in a marketplace with a lot of numbers, small differences can result in big changes in the outcome. Definitely. I think we can all sort of imagine the, the Bing user versus the Google user. What are some quick wins that people can use to, to integrate straight into their business? Honestly, just create good content create if you create good content then you're going to naturally accrue links so there will be some people whether they're people using uh, internet forums and message boards whether it's people on social sites whether it's bloggers whether it's journalists whether it's a journalist on the bbc here's the thing you're not going to get a link from the bbc to one of your bits of research if you never create the bit of research you make your own luck just come up with some decent content when i say decent content it's either something so useful or so interesting or something that hasn't been done to death in your market that if someone in your marketplace who is a journalist working in one of the trade publications they see that content and they decide to write about it they decide to link to it um, don't just regurgitate the stuff all of your rivals have done mm-hmm. i can see that it's definitely tempting to do that to look at what your competitors have done and then try to rank for that as well and make your own content to, to beat them yeah which in a lot of instances that's a that's a completely fine strategy but it's definitely not the one the only strategy to do it really is about have something different to say but this is where it's because you asked a minute ago about how's seo changed the, the funny thing is so nearly 18 years ago whenever i first started in this game the things I was doing back then are the same things we're doing now. So in nearly two decades, SEO hasn't really changed that much because back then it was all about create decent content, optimize it for relevant keywords that people care about, get that content on your website, get that content out across um, people on the social and on blogs and, and in the news, and then just make sure that it's um, you know got calls to action and make sure it's got users funneled towards it. So all of your, your UX is sorted as well. Same thing now. We just have to do a hell of a lot more of it. I think that's a great advice. I've definitely learned quite a lot about SEO in this uh, conversation so far. But that's kind of the inbound and organic side of marketing. When is the case for for PPC? And when should we start thinking about using pay-per-click advertising? Well, quite often if someone comes to us, one of the things I like about Liberty is we're not channel focused. We're currently working on a proposal now for a company that's a broadband business and they've just told us i want to achieve x number of sales and so it's up to us to figure out is this an seo job is it a ppc job is it both if it needs paid media is that social paid is it google search ads is it google display ads is it some programmatic so we get to choose these things and so by doing that we were able to figure out you know the, the pros and cons of each one and how they slot together now quite often what you'd say is with with the organic side of things in SEO is it's a long-term game. Like typically we say you don't see any results from that for a good six to 12 months. Sometimes it's longer. We've got one client now that we started working with five years ago. We just hit their goal. 
thankfully that goal has made that guy richer than the Pope. Whereas other clients, we've, we've had quite a few startups come to us and they can't afford to wait a while. They're not up for investing the money, but they need some leads. So that's why it's a PPC job. Most of our clients will be doing SEO and PPC when we meet them. And then, then we will take, take on one or, or both of those avenues. And the good thing with Google Ads is so if you want inquiries or you want sales this afternoon, you can have them for any keyword under the sun, provided you've got the money to afford that keyword. So it's like you can build a business instantly off the back of PPC. The problem there is you're kind of always on that treadmill. So that's why a lot of companies will do PPC to start whilst building up their SEO. And then eventually they might pull back some of the PPC budget and the SEO is still there. And whilst a lot of people come to us with that as a plan, the reality is they get used to having the PPC sales. They get used to the organic sales. They want more and more and more. And they never pull back. In fact, they just keep reinvesting. Where it's nice at the moment is with this lockdown, a lot of clients have pulled back their PPC spend or they've paused it, yet they're still getting a lot of inquiries because they're getting them off the back of Google rankings. They're getting them off the back of content they created over the last few years, getting off the back of organic social activity. So it means they've still got inquiries. We've got a couple of clients at the moment who are their entire businesses are living off the back of organic work they've been doing for the last few years so whilst they're not hitting their sales target because their ppc's on pause they're also not suffering the cost of thousands of pounds a day in, in google clicks is it less competitive out there at the moment for pay-per-click then does that mean your ad spend is going to be cheaper for normal if you can afford to keep going this is where i mean i uh, i don't know if you saw it luckily i'm linkedin it must be two months ago now it was right at the start of the lockdown i put a um a blog post up, which was kind of like a call to arms for digital marketers that said, look, you know, before you shut down your PPC, before you stop doing your marketing, just, you know, look at the data and see what, you know, what is the data and what is the marketplace telling you? Because instantly we started seeing some of the lowest cost per conversions for some of our main PPC clients, just because their half their rivals have disappeared. Yeah. So running the same ads for the same keywords, saying the same things, and they were converting twice as much. Uh, for their budget um, just because one or two big players have fallen out of the auction. Gareth and I have decided to continue this conversation on another podcast because we're going to dedicate the whole one to PPC Um, and here's a little bit of our conversation to give you an idea of what we might talk about next time he's on. Just because we've got the most ludicrously powerful targeting options within Google Ads and nobody appreciates it. I'm the only person I've known on the digital marketing sort of speaking circuit who even brings up this subject. Yeah, for me, it's incredible. But it's, it's, and and it's, there are so many crazily good audiences you can use as a marketer. We're basically, digital marketers are absolutely spoiled for choice right now. And we're spoiled in terms of how good we've got it. Yeah, honestly, nine out of 10 of them have never even heard of these things. And then of the remainder, nine out of 10 of them have never even tested them. But I'm talking about things like this custom intent audiences. So I can show display adverts to people who've been recently been on one of your direct rivals websites. There's things like in market audiences. So I know if you're about to buy car insurance, so I can choose just to show adverts to you right now. There's loads of affinity audiences. So if I'm selling a new range of motorbike clothing, I know if you're a biker. Um, you layer on top of these things like demographics. So potentially my biker clothing brand only wants males in their thirties who are not only into biking, they're into 
God, some other kind of extreme sports and they're currently in the market for buying a motorbike. I just want to show my adverts to those people. You know, so it's like you've got all, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And um, does, Google give like, you, does Google give you all those options? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can, if you start up a Google PPC, uh, a Google Ads account now, as an advertiser, you have access to all of these things. Wow. Cool. I think the, the thing with Google Ads is it's not the most straightforward system in the world. And it's got so much going on in there is that most people, you know, just don't get to play around with these things. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, are there any good courses out there? Well, how would you start by learning? There's courses on the Google website, though, to be honest with you, I haven't even looked at it in years. So I don't know what they're like these days. The best thing to do is just start playing around, is you know, set up an account and just start having a go. Yeah, and just learning learning uh, that way. I mean, yes, most of the people I know who, who are very good at PPC are kind of self-taught mm -hmm. and they just they were just very inquisitive. And just loved fiddling about with it and you know every day improving their skills and improving their abilities mm -hmm. i mean that one of the things that has always been hugely important at liberty is helping dispel some of the myths in the marketplace so we you know quite a few people in here speak at quite a few events and get interviewed for, for various publications and it's always about sharing knowledge and just trying to you know trying to get everyone that we speak to and everyone who reads our stuff a little bit more clued up so yeah, I mean, that's something that if yeah, if I can help with with that in any way, then I'm more than happy to. Great, Gareth. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I know everyone's learned a lot from you, and it's going to be really excited for the next one that comes out in a few more weeks when we've recorded. Yeah, cheers. See you later. All right, great, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that, go and have a look at last week's. MJ Peters talks a lot more about her strategy for content in a sort of manufacturing environment and we've also got a few different content strategy pieces for example chris walker who's who's got some fantastic ideas about content marketing um, and a huge following on linkedin and um, that one's definitely worth a listen to equally gaetano dinardi who also talked about his seo strategy all of those work like definitely having a listen to Next week, we're going to be talking to Dan Ritzke, who he's got his own company dedicated to helping people clarify and create powerful messaging. It's, it was so interesting for me to record, so you're going to love listening to that. There's lots and lots of different bits about how you can learn positioning and pull out bits of values and mission from your company to inform your messaging. It's super useful. Um, we had a great conversation. Um, and please come and follow how the fuck on LinkedIn and Instagram and um, subscribe. We have RSS now, which I didn't really know anything about, but we have it now. I've also posted a couple of clips on LinkedIn on my personal LinkedIn. If you want to come follow, follow me there. Great. Thank you very much. See you next week.